Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, I finally said goodbye to Dirty Mike and the Boys. The story of selling my house, looking at an iBuying option. That story's coming up next. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Good to see you as well. It's another week in paradise. Absolutely. Loving the equity markets right now. It's a, it's a real treat every day that you look up at the news and you go, oh, wow, that's new. I'd like a couple days where I don't say, oh, wow, about anything. Give me all the most boring things you can imagine. Uh, I'll take them. I know you say that now, Dan, but I, I do think we are all gluttons for punishment when it comes to having things to look at and talk about. I do like complaining. It's it's something I personally enjoy. I don't know that those around me enjoy it, but I, you know, I get entertainment out of complaining. I think a lot of people do, honestly, and that's okay. As long as you're aware of it or paying attention, I think it's okay to complain every once in a while. Right. It's just important that those around me know I'm complaining for myself and not complaining to them. Correct. Yeah. And, and you're not necessarily looking for them to, to resolve any of your complaints, simply voicing a displeasure or an observation. Right. At an audible level. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, I've gotten rid of something that I've expressed a lot of displeasure over in the past on this show, actually. And that is for the first time in about a decade, I'm no longer a homeowner. What are you going to complain about, Ross? This has taken up most of our our conversation for years. It really has. Uh, I have complained about raccoons and <laughs> siding and roofing and all sorts of other things that have gone wrong uh, during the time periods that I've been a homeowner. Now, I can complain about being a renter. And, and I've got something new. It, it's a whole new experience of things for me personally to complain about. And it didn't take long to start. I think it was day one. We had we had some great stuff in the hopper for the complaining category. Almost instantly. Almost instantly. All of the things that I was excited about for being a renter, most of which have not been true. But that's okay. So let's talk about the home selling process. Because in particular, I think this is an interesting time to have been selling a home. There is a lot of talk of how hot and how crazy the real estate market is, and it is. It seems to be one of the only asset classes that continues to go up. But uh, I did a couple things as part of this that I thought our listeners would would maybe appreciate, uh, and so that's what we're going to get into today. Yeah, selling a home today is very different than selling a home a decade ago. And much like other things, you know, I think of even the dating world very different today than it was 10 years ago. Technology has grown to a spot where it's almost niched itself into every single aspect of your life and and real estate is no different. Yeah, and and so uh I'm going to glaze over this fairly quickly because um, I don't really want to get into the the pieces of it. But the reason I was selling a home uh, was not because I think owning a home is a bad choice or, or that I decided I didn't want to be in the home market. I wasn't trying to time the home market. 
this is really a, a result of some disruption in my personal life, and I'm going to leave that there for for the moment. But in any case, I ended up in a situation where we needed to sell the home. And so the first thing that I did was I actually looked at an iBuying choice. Now, iBuying uh, is a fairly recent phenomenon in the last handful of years. And that is where these companies like Opendoor or Redfin, Zillow was doing this for a little while and actually exited this business. But they would make a very quick offer on your home, kind of digitally assessing what they think it's worth. And they would offer to buy it from you. Uh, And then the idea was, I believe that they would either do some minor improvements, flip it, whatever they were going to do, and they would relist the house themselves. But it would give the seller a very quick option uh, and a very, what is supposed to be stress-free option of unloading a house kind of on their own time frame because they're dealing with a buyer that has a lot of capital to put to work. They're able to make decisions quickly. And in theory, those companies that have those digital resources to understand the market through their algorithms, that they are able to make such a quick decision on it with their information advantage that they can still make a good deal and that it might work out for me as as the seller. So that was really the first thing that I explored. As a seller, I love having that option. When I learned that that companies were doing that just out of curiosity i hopped online to see what the process was like now even though we're not separated by many miles where i live was not eligible for that program at least at the time Uh, but i think most of us have experienced something similar with cars so i buying for cars has been around for a while and you know i think whenever i was looking to make a change the first thing i do was to get that i buying offer because that's a benchmark on which you can compare everything else. And it's such a low hurdle to overcome that having that in your pocket is a great place to start. Yeah, I agree. And it's um, a really nice thing to have. I ultimately did not end up selling that way. But the, the thing was for me, I felt like I had a really good assessment on what my home was worth. My neighbor, which had the exact same floor plan home, Like same square footage, same design, looks similar, uh, similar lot size. They had sold, I think, five, six months before I was getting ready to list. And so I knew what they had sold for, and they sold for above uh, what they listed. But when those homes close, you can see what the final transaction price was. And I was using that as my benchmark because I thought our home was in a comparable condition, right? I thought their kitchen might have been a little bit nicer. I think our bathrooms were a little bit nicer. But on the whole, I think that they were a very, very strong comp for us. And so I wasn't confused about what I thought my home price was. In the meantime, I had gotten an email from Redfin in particular telling me that they thought in their kind of day-to-day algorithm that my home was worth about 30 or 40 grand more than what I thought the, the comp was. Um, and and so when I saw that, I immediately went, oh, wow, maybe they're really wrong and they might be willing to overpay for my house by 30 to 40 grand because of how wrong they are and that their algorithm was just misfiring on my neighborhood. 
So that was really what actually started me down that path. It was a little bit of curiosity just on how the process works and wanting to learn that way because I am an experiential learner. I, I like to do things or try them or kind of understand it that way. But that was the other piece was I was wondering if they were going to make a big mistake that was going to result in me getting a lot of extra money. Yeah, you shared this with me when you got the offer from them, or at least that first solicitation. And I was intrigued as well, because right, if you can if you can capitalize on their miscalculation or misjudgment, that's that's great. Right. You're the expert. You live in your neighborhood. There's some big company just using whatever data they have to try to figure out where they think your home is worth and where they can make money. Correct. And so through that process, I think from that very email, um, I actually initiated the iBuying kind of inquiry. Clicked on the button that said, I'd like an offer on my home. Uh, and they said, okay, great. And they asked for a few details. And some of the details were, you know, how what have you updated recently? Have you spent money on the home since you purchased it? Uh, and the answer to that, for anybody that's been listening, is very much yes. I've put a lot of money into that house. You've de-raccooned the attic. I have. We, yeah, no, we, it, the, the raccoons have been remediated. It's been cleaned. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of work done to that home. And so kind of put all of that in there and they said, okay, great. We'd like to set up an appointment with somebody who's going to give you your offer. Uh, and that appointment was for the next day. Uh, I think I had done this on like a Sunday and, and the appointment was, was for a Monday or something like that. As part of that, they were going to give me an offer on the home of what they were willing to purchase it for. So I, that's pretty exciting to get in one day, basically an assessment uh, and what their real offer was going to be, I, I thought was pretty exciting. And, and it really was that quick. Now, did they make you take any photos or submit interior images of the house? Or, or did they not care to that extent? They said it was optional. Um, and so I did submit a few photos. And, and I particularly had photos when some of the work had been done. So you know, when the bathroom had been redone, we took a picture of the brand new bathroom. Um, and, and so I had some photos like that that I submitted, but I do believe it was optional. So I don't know if that would have uh, reduced the strength of the offer had I not done that. But I didn't submit full house photos. I didn't have to go through and do a, a tour. I didn't show every single room. But I think between what they can see online from previous listings and then what work I told them I had done and then showed off some of that, I think that probably improved their fidelity on on what they could see in my house. So you have the meeting with their representative. And is it basically just to outline the offer? Or, or was there anything else that goes along? I guess they outlined what the process would be for moving forward. Correct. So there were a couple things that were, were interesting about it. So number one, they do share the number with you pretty quickly. And, and so I was kind of worried that it was going to be some tough close situation where I was going to have to wait for the end. They were going to try and rush me into a commitment or something. Um, and I was prepared for that, but that thankfully wasn't the case. So they gave me the number pretty quickly and they were $15,000 over what my neighbor had sold for. So the comp that I was using in my head of, hey, I think we're worth at least this, they came in above that, which was great. So that was really encouraging to see. They were not quite as high as that initial number I saw in the email that said, oh, yeah, we think you're worth X. But they did come in over kind of what I thought the baseline number needed to be. Now, that being said, the next thing that they outline is their costs for buying the house from you. Their costs are pretty hefty in the iBuying space. 
So this is not something that you're going to want to do if you're interested in saving money on your real estate transaction cost. For this deal, I believe the number was 7%. It was going to cost me 7% of the selling price of the home to conduct this transaction. Now, on a normal real estate transaction, uh, 6% is kind of the standard commission. And for higher volume uh, buyers and sellers, or if you've got a relationship with the agent, you're doing multiple deals with them. Uh, I've generally been in the 5% range on my real estate deals. So that was a meaningful difference to be at 2% higher on a pretty high price transaction. And that 2%, was that just the sales charge or did that include any of the other fees for settlement and transfer and all those things? I believe that included the settlement, but I'd have to go back and look at exactly what the deck was. Now, they, I mean, they're basically able to settle these deals on their own. I believe they own the title company. They, they can conduct the transaction as the broker. So, so they can kind of do all of this in-house for you. I don't know exactly how they structure that, but um, that was assuming that you did not have an agent that was trying to represent you. Like literally all of that was going to them in one form or another. And so they were going to get a pretty hefty chunk of the proceeds of my home, even as they were buying it. That $15,000 bonus versus what you thought the house could potentially sell for is eaten away pretty quick if you start adding percentage points on your sales price uh, for transaction costs. 100%. Now, what they wanted was a fairly quick turnaround on a decision to move forward. I believe I had five days. I, I should have written this down and taken notes. I think they gave me five days basically to make a decision and then I was going to have up to 90 days after that decision to close. So it didn't, it, they weren't saying you have to be out of the house right now. I had a lot of flexibility on when to close the deal, but they did want a decision pretty quickly on are you accepting this price? The next thing that was going to happen was an actual inspector. So they were going to send somebody physically into the home. And then what that was going to let them do is adjust the purchase price. Now that's where I started to get uncomfortable with the deal. Now, it makes sense to me why they would do that, right? Obviously, they're going to want to see the property if they're getting ready to write a pretty big check. That being said, you're accepting a price that is ultimately going to be adjusted at their discretion. Now, you would still have the ability to walk away. So that didn't mean that I was locked into a deal. If they came back with a inspection price and said, okay, well, no, we're not going to give you this. We're going to give you way less. I could have easily walked away and I would not have lost anything at that point. But the thing that I've always understood about home inspections is that if you have the inspection done and it, if it uncovers work, then legally as the seller, you're obligated to disclose that work or to have it fixed. Is that your understanding, Dan? Right. My understanding is that if you know something about your house, you need to disclose that. If you walked away from that offer and listed it again, that would now be something that you needed to tell other people about. Okay. So that was the worry a little bit for me, is what if this inspector comes in and says, well, we're not going to give you this because X, Y, and Z are wrong. So we're going to reduce our offer price. And now I'm in a position where I have to relist with somebody else and either put a lot more work into the home or disclose whatever that inspector found. So 
it did feel interesting to me. That felt like a the riskiest part of the deal that they were offering. And again, I think it's I understand why they're doing it that way. It makes sense to me why that's their process. Um, but that felt like the scariest part of I'm kind of locked in with this single buyer. I, they've shown me the max that they're willing to pay. They haven't shown me what they're actually willing to pay, but that's what would happen next. And in fairness, that seems pretty consistent with what the experience would be like if you took it to market and accepted an offer. If someone wrote on the house, they'd probably want a decision within a few days, and then they would do their own inspection. Uh, but with the eye buying, you lose that competition. The most people don't see the house. There can't be a fight over the price. You know, It is what it is when Redfin, in this case, decides that they're going to buy it, and you say yes. Correct. Now, the other thing that I know is going on, because I hear it anecdotally, is that the housing market has been so aggressive lately that a lot of people have been making no inspection offers, where that inspection gets completely waived, the home inspector doesn't come through, they don't identify anything, uh, and that people just trying to make their offers more competitive have been bidding in that way. And so in the back of my mind, Again, I've, I've taken really good care of this home. I've put a lot of money into it. I didn't think there was anything major wrong with it, right? Aside from minor things that go on in a home on, on a day-to-day basis. But um, that fear for me, what, that, or, or even the, the potential of having somebody come in and make a no-inspection offer, that was in my head a little bit. And then that 7% that they were going to charge, that to me was, was a big deal. So ultimately... You decided to go another route. You hired an agent and, and marketed the property. But it was a great learning experience as far as what that iBuying process looks like. Yeah. I mean, ha- had I moved forward with it, the flexibility seems like it's really incredible. Here's where I think I probably would have done it. If I didn't live in this market, right? if I lived out of state from where the home I was selling was, if it was a rental property that I had you know, somewhere else and I wanted to minimize the friction of the transaction, I think I absolutely would have done this. So I, I'm, I, I didn't look at it as a bad experience. I ended up not moving forward past that step that I, I just mentioned. But that was really where I saw the value of this is if you don't want to be on site, if you don't want to be doing showings, if you don't want to have to kind of deal with what showing a property uh, entails, this is an excellent way to do it. The other part is, in theory, you could have closed super fast. Redfin is ready to go. They don't need the loan. They've got the money for you. And if you wanted to be gone, you could be gone with your check in hand. That That is also true. Yeah. If, if I had wanted to move really fast, I think I could have gotten that done in probably a matter of a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. So, so that piece of it as well, I think, is really, really interesting. So for anybody that's got a need for speed in their real estate transaction and has an eye buying service in their market, I think that's worth looking at. Yeah. I'm curious if anyone else has had that experience. Like I said, I I tried just to see what it would be like, and I wasn't living in an approved market for whichever service I was looking at. Uh, But I I can see the value long-term. The other thing is we thought that the service had mispriced the house. Uh, I, I think looking backwards, they probably were more in tune than we thought they were because the housing market has not cooled down. There is still a lot of competition, at least in the area that we're in. 
and prices seem to still be going up and up. Yeah. So, so, you know, the decision for me to ultimately list with a, a traditional agent, this is an agent I'd worked with before and know, um, and, and consider a friend. And, um, that was part of it for me, honestly, you know, Dan, you and I run a small business. We are very appreciative of the folks that choose to work with us, working with people that are in your market and are local. Uh, I think there's some value to that. Um, now, this also happened to save me money on the transaction because I didn't pay 7%, which is what what Redfin would have charged me. And so even if we didn't get the same selling price with a traditional agent, I saw that I was probably going to come out ahead. Um, and and that, to me, made sense. I didn't have to move super fast. I wasn't in a spot where I needed to fire sale the property. Uh, and so I ended up getting, as the final sales price, $5,000 less than the Redfin offer. That's what I ended up closing for. I did get a no inspection contract on the home. We actually had uh, another one that had gone a little above that in terms of price, but we accepted the no inspection offer and ended up basically ahead of where I would have been had I gone with the Redfin offer because the difference in the commission ended up with more money in my pocket at the bottom line versus paying a 7% clip. Again, that's not a knock on them. I think in the right circumstance, I could have moved forward with that deal and it would have been fine. And it would have been very, very quick and would have been great. But um, in this particular circumstance, just to, to tell you the other side of that, number one, wanted to support somebody local that, that is also an entrepreneur and, and working on their own business and their practice. Number two, it ended up working out financially, I think a little bit better to have not done the iBuying personally. Uh, and had a had a good experience getting getting the deal done. So that that's where I ended up at the end of the day. And so for the first time in, like I said, about about a decade, I don't own a home because as new business owners, Dan, I can't qualify for a mortgage. I need I need more history. Yeah, that mortgage application process is fun when you're a business owner. Oh my goodness, that I hadn't really thought about that. I, I, maybe I should have. Maybe that was a failing as a as a financial planner. But I didn't really think about the fact that as a new business owner, I wouldn't be able to qualify. Now, if you had said, "Yeah, because my income has been reduced from what it used to be, or whatever," that would have made sense to me. But the fact that they won't even consider it until it's two year old income—that's just really, really frustrating. Uh, and and quite frankly, a stupid process. I'd love to talk more about mortgages at some point because I've been faced with a few weird scenarios lately that just blew my mind. Um, I don't know if I've talked about it here, but I was helping a family friend refinance recently, and they're in a position where they work with three employers, and their income is is high enough to qualify for what they were looking to do. It was actually going to reduce their costs, but because they have three employers and work more than a certain number of hours a week, the mortgage company was very be, wanted to be very meticulous in documenting all these different things that they would have never asked from me, which made it prohibitive to go through for him. And I feel bad because he would have really benefited from a refinance, but just couldn't get the documentation they wanted and ultimately wasn't able to move forward. Um, and then I think about someone like my brother, who's an actor and an artist who works regularly and always in a show. But because he's always employed by different theaters, that he can't show consistency when he's applying for a mortgage. And he's just shocked how 
he can't qualify for a loan, even though he's working constantly and feels like he's working his butt off. But just by the nature of the way he's employed, uh, he can't do it. And it's, I feel like there's got to be a better system, but I understand why we've gotten to a point where they're so strict with lending. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, and it, it's not a lender that's making a choice, right? Uh, and and that that's what's really frustrating about it. The loan officers have almost zero power. What the loan officers can do is they can understand the different products that are available and if there's one that might be a fit and what those requirements are. But as far as making an independent decision of like, oh, no, I trust this guy. I've known him for 30 years. He's a stand-up guy, has always worked hard, and will make his payments. They're not even close to making that sort of a decision. What they're really doing for the banks and for the the lending uh, brokers is just filling in the checkboxes. Can we say that we've filled in all these checkboxes, and as soon as they get to one that's important that they can't fill in, they literally can't do the loan. Like that. That's it. That's what it seems like to me. I've never worked in that space, but it just seems like they're trying to check the boxes and that's it. Because what they're really doing in most of these mortgage houses, they're shipping the mortgages off almost immediately. They're not holding them on their books. They're not making a decision. Whether you're talking to a credit union or a bank um, or, or just more of a broker, most of them have these what's called a warehouse line to the big lenders like a Wells Fargo or somebody like that or a Fannie and Freddie, and they're just shipping the, the loan off as soon as they write it. Um, and, and so it, it doesn't seem like a, a very human process anymore where, where somebody's actually assessing whether or not you're credit worthy. How appropriate to move away from the human element on our episode about iBuying, taking away the human element of buying and selling a home. Yeah, it's true. And and more and more of this stuff will become digital. But there were people involved in in this piece of the process, at least. Uh, and and I'm glad that I ended up doing it the way that I did. So so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Have any of you had experience with iBuying or iSelling? Let us know what the process was like for you. If it's available in your neck of the woods, you can email us at checkyourbalances@outlook.com. We appreciate all of our listeners and look forward to catching up next week. 